Happy Valentine's Day, Julie. Happy Valentine's Day, Lisa. Galentine. You're my you're my Galentine. <laughs> you are definitely my Galentine. Um, yeah, it's Valentine's Day, and we are exactly two months out. Exactly. From well, Boston in one day. Yes. So hopefully exactly two months from now. Um I'll be sitting at a Red Sox game with my uncle. Gearing up for a beautiful race day. And the weather's going to be perfect, right? Absolutely. <laughs> what and would your perfect weather be? My perfect weather for Boston would be 50 degrees sunny. Um, and a tailwind. And a tailwind. <laughs> but I don't want to be greedy. Yeah. But just right. no major like head. We could just add it on as a bonus. Yeah. Yeah. No major head or, or, or side wind that would blow me over. But that would be my perfect weather. But for a fall marathon where I've trained in the heat all summer, I'm fine with 60s and even, even low 70s as long as there is no humidity. It's right. really the humidity that gets you. Right. That dew point. Yes. The dew, dew point. point. Exactly. So I was thinking before we launch into our conversation today, we may have some new listeners, so we should introduce ourselves again really quickly. I'm Julie Sapper. I'm Lisa Reichman. And we are the co-founders of Run Farther and Faster, and uh, we can be found on our website, runfarthernfaster.com, Facebook, Instagram, and um, a little bit of Twitter. And uh, if you ever have any questions or you have any ideas for guests or you just want to give us some feedback, we welcome it. And you can always email us, Julie and Lisa at runfartherandfaster.com or send us a DM on Facebook or Instagram. And we coach runners all over the country. So people who are listening now who are coaching, hi guys. And um, we love hearing our runners feedback about how they enjoyed the podcast or what, what they did with the information. And um, one more thing, if you are inclined, we would so appreciate a review on iTunes, um, not because we're asking for pats on the back, but because if we have reviews, then it will come up in people's searches when they're looking for running-related podcasts. And because this is sort of a limited edition podcast that is um, going to culminate with the running of the Boston Marathon, we would love for more people to find us before it's too late. So um, we would so appreciate you taking the time. It takes 30 seconds to write a little review on iTunes. Thanks. Okay, moving on. So how was your week? My week was good. It was wet at the beginning. We had rain and cold weather at the beginning. So I was telling you earlier, my Tuesday run, which just was a short, easy run, reminded me a lot of Boston last year. It was about 32 degrees. It was drizzly when I went out, a little breezy. And I got about halfway into my run, my farthest point away where I turn around and come back and the rains picked up. And I thought, good practice for Boston. But the highlight of my week was yesterday, I went to visit one of our runners who, uh, scary enough, had an aneurysm. Um, one month ago, she had an aneurysm. She was running on the treadmill in her basement and she got a horrible, horrible headache, like a hammer pounding in her head, something that was not, not normal. She knew something was not right. And luckily her husband was home. It was early morning and she woke him up and she tried to shake it off and took a shower, but they both knew something wasn't right. So he insisted on taking her to hospital and it turned out she had an aneurysm. It had not burst, thankfully, 
but really scary situation. She was rushed into emergency brain surgery to place a coil where the aneurysm was to clot it and really touch and go for two weeks. She was in the hospital for observation for two weeks. She had a lot of um, post-surgery issues and had some ups and downs. And you know, we, we went through this with her. I was very fortunate that she was okay. Uh, and her prognosis is great. She is going to be able to run again. And her doctors have encouraged her to run and get back out on the roads. And uh, so it's been one month and she has not run yet. She's been listening to her body, which we've encouraged her to do. And her doctors have encouraged her to do. Uh, she's been walking, she's been riding her Peloton at home and she went in for her doctor's appointment this week and the doctor said, have you run yet? And she said, no, I haven't. And the doctor said, why not? And she explained to me yesterday when I went to visit her, she was having a little bit of, she described as PTSD. She's a little bit, understandably, she's afraid to run. She's afraid what might happen. So we were out for a walk and I asked her if she wanted to do a couple run intervals and she did. And I wanted her, I wanted her to be with somebody when she did those for the first time. So we just spontaneously did a few based on feel kind of first the downhill section for as long as she felt, you know, like she was okay. And then we slowed it down. We walked and then did another interval and we did that for a few laps around her neighborhood and she felt great and her form looked great and she felt so good. And for me after I felt like that was the highlight of my week was getting to see her run again and getting excited and feeling confident to be able to run. And we've talked to her about coming back and how she's going to rebuild very gradually and listening to her body very slowly. But uh, there's no reason she really can't set her sights on some fall goals after she rebuilds this spring. So that was the highlight of my running week. It was the highlight of my week too. We're so glad she's okay. And we appreciate um, her allowing us to share her story. This is being shared with her permission. Um, it's and important. it's important to listen to your body. Yeah, that's that's what we <laughs> yeah. both took away from this. And uh, it's so important to listen to your body. And if something doesn't feel right, just know in your gut. She knew that that was not mm-hmm. that headache was not a, just a normal headache. And you just have to listen to your body and get medical attention. The worst that could happen is a false alarm, and you know, all for naught. But you can catch something early. So really happy that she's okay and that she's up and running again. And it really gives all of us an appreciation for what we do. We're so focused right now on our training and we're getting to the height of our training and our high mileage. And uh, we get so focused on what others are doing and what's going on with our training that it's nice to take a step back and get some perspective and think, wow, just to be able to be out there doing this is such a, is a gift. Yeah. It's certainly a blessing. And this is a runner who's very dedicated to her own training. So we know at this time, it's definitely shifted her perspective and recognizing that life is a blessing and um, sometimes things happen that are out of our control, but the fact that she's kept such a positive attitude and her doctors are so supportive of her and her endeavors is, is a lot. And I think another lesson to take away from this, in addition to listening to your body, is to um, have, have, a, have a physician and have a medical team that supports who you are. Um, and if you feel like a medical team isn't supporting um, the things that are important to you, then it, it, it would be good to get some other opinions. And I, I feel like she was very fortunate with her medical team and, and how they've, they've been treating her and, and how quickly they diagnosed her. Yeah. Yeah. So all good. So. All good. So, um, yeah. So we were talking about that. I think with two months to go, two months in training and then two months to go, 
there's a lot of sort of stress involved in training, not because of training, but rather um, life is hectic. And this is a hectic time for many people, especially parents. I feel like this this quarter, this time in the school year is is very hectic. So we're all trying to sort of patch together our training and do the best we can while juggling many other things. And um, I think it's important to remember that everybody comes to their training in a different place. And that goes not just for how fast you run compared to someone else, but how fast you recover. And all of these um, articles lately about Mike Awardian and what he's done, it's so amazing what he's done. Uh, We talked about this a little bit last week, but he ran the seven continents within seven days and then ran three extra marathons to break the world record last Saturday with the help of Pacers running. Shout out to Pacers. Um, where he ran three more here yeah. in the D.C. area. To break the record. Mike, record. Michael Wardian is clearly a gifted runner when it comes to speed, but he is also a gifted runner when it comes to recovery genetics. And I don't... I, 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 what I mean by that is that everyone recovers differently, and it's so important to listen to your body. And for one person, they may be able to run a few miles easily the day after a tempo workout. But maybe for you, your recovery entails doing some gentle cross training or rest. And and that is trial and error. And I think it's super important, especially as the training continues to intensify for those who are looking at spring marathons, to not be upset, frustrated, disappointed, or compare yourself to anyone else. It's your journey and you have to listen to your body. So to that end, I just finished an awesome book. It's newly released. It's called Good to Go. And it's by a an author named Christy Ashwadon. And she is a science writer and for a publication called 538. And the whole book, she analyzes all of these different recovery modalities and debunks some myths, but also a uh, huge shocker. Guess what the best recovery is. Guess what the best recovery modality is? Sleep. Sleep. Yes. Sleep. (laughs) What a surprise. Sleep, people. We've been telling this. (laughs) We've been preaching this for years. So if you are someone who you feel like you have the best foam roller, you are getting massages, cryotherapy, cryotherapy, everything else, but you're skimping on sleep, save yourself a little money and shift your focus a little bit on sleep. And to that end, um, say yes to the nap. I know naps are are really not easy for busy people, but there's no shame in a nap. So if you are in a position to take a quick one, um, do it. It's it's only going to help your muscles recover that much faster. Um, I don't want to give away all of the book because it's really good, but I will say this. She really looks at everything. Foam rolling, ice, um, what does she say about ice? I'm curious okay. to hear. I'm going to read the book. I've got it on my list now. But what does she say about ice and cryotherapy? Because we know both of us have found that helpful. Yes. But when I looked into it to research it, didn't find a lot to support it. So again, you kind of have to go with what works for you. And if it feels good, it can't hurt. But what does she have to say? Okay. So first of all, you haven't read the book, but it sounds like you have because that is the one thing the book takes away. Really? Even if science debt may not yep. support that the uh, foam roller, the most painful foam roller, doesn't necessarily help based on scientific data. If that continues to make you feel better, then it's not, it is not a useless form of recovery. So with respect to cryotherapy and ice, 
she is in the camp that Dr. Firestone, who we had on a few weeks ago, is in, and that is heat, heat, heat. heat. Promotes healing. Heat. Recovery, yep. So the exception is if you have, for example, you sprain your ankle and you're swelling, you, you need to put ice on it. Right. That's a, that's a um, that's an acute, acute injury. Yes. But if you just finished a run, we used to tell our runners to jump in an ice bath. Jump in yeah. an ice bath. Okay, so everyone, if you love your ice bath, we are not here to tell you that you shouldn't, but we're here to tell you that if you haven't been doing it, don't feel guilty about it. Um, take that warm shower and uh, use heat, use stim if you have one, um, but don't feel compelled to take that ice bath. With respect to cryo, I really like it. I I continue you to too. like it. You do too. Yeah. So I'm not going to stop because it can't, I, hurt. It, can't right? hurt. it can't hurt. And it has made me feel yeah. better. So to her theory, if it has made you feel better, this would be my third training cycle using it, then keep doing it. So um, it, it kind of takes away that guilt. One more theory she debunks that you're, you're going to be surprised about. Um, scientific studies do not support that you have to have your food protein within with your protein and carbs within 20, 30 minutes of finishing a run or a hard workout. However, I will tell you, I did my long run this morning. I finished, um, I did, uh, 15 miles. I was starving. So I think you just have to listen to your body. body. That's right. After my long runs, I always crave, it's kind of crazy, but I really want like salty, like beef jerky or something that I know, I know it's not stuff I normally eat, but I kind salt. of crave that salt and protein. So if that's, you know, I want some like chipotle or something that's like a salty kava, a kava bowl. That's just something that's got a you know, more salt and mm-hmm. chicken and rice. But I, my body, that's what it craves. It doesn't, as much as I love sweets, like I can't even eat sweets after I run for a little while. Like I want something salty and protein. So Same. I think you're right. You just need to listen to your body. I, I always used to make a joke after races, especially I remember triathlons that I do and I jump back in the car to get gas to drive home and I would go in and I'd buy beef jerky at the time. <laughs> I'd buy beef jerky or like Slim Jims at the gas station and I was like hiding them in my car like, oh my gosh, I just did this race and I'm like the girl buying the Slim Jims at the, but I was like, oh, that looks so good and normally they wouldn't look good, but they look so good after a race. So basically, you're... I candy before. Okay. And Slim Jim's I love it. So basically, your post-race meal, ideal post-race meal, is a 1982 lunch. Yeah. Like, I think, like, I used to eat for lunch... A bologna sandwich. Yes, bologna yes. sandwich with white bread. Oh, that sounds and really good. I had, I used to, I mean, when I was a kid, white bread, and I think I liked ketchup on my bologna. How disgusting know, yeah. is mustard that? And mustard and bologna, though, totally oh. Loved it. So, funny. Yeah. so yeah, so the Slim yeah, Jim. So you have to listen to your body, I think. I think it knows. <laughs> slim Jim. Says slim, my body says Slim Jim. Slim Jim. Not, not necessarily Slim Jim. Beef jerky. Some kind of, I now tend towards to like crave beef jerky, mm-hmm. which I love. So I tend towards the better beef jerky. Like but, Trader Joe's. Yeah. The designer. Yeah. It's like better, no nitrates. I try to keep it pretty clean. and Yeah. I, I don't really normally buy the Slim Jims, but I would if I was not. Snap into at- it. <laughs> Snap into a Slim Jim. I want a picture of you. Slim Jim. A Slim Jim, yeah, okay. please. I will do that. Um, no, I think you're absolutely right to your point. We have to listen to your to our bodies. Um, if our bodies need sleep rather than running uh, one morning, um, we tell our runners this, but sometimes um, we need these reminders as well. It is better when you wake up in the morning, 
and you feel really heavy and tired and just having even a, a sore throat, that sore throat fatigue, take a rest day. It is okay. Um, or sleep in and run later. Sometimes we get uh, emails from our runners almost apologetically, like, I didn't run this morning. I'm going to run later. I was tired. No, no, that's awesome. We love that. Great for listening to your body. Yeah. yeah. And I think it's really important. We don't have to be these early morning road warriors to prove ourselves as being committed to our training and our running. Run when it's good for you. And if you have the luxury to run later in the day and that's going to allow you to sleep a little longer, please, by all means, do it. And that's only going to benefit your training. Um, For me, I like to run early in the morning because I don't usually find time later in the day to get a run in. But believe me, if I had that opportunity, and sometimes I do, I'll take advantage of it. For example, on the days that I telework, um, even though I love running with Felix, I I forego the opportunity to run with him. I get extra sleep and I'll go out and do my run after Ella gets off on the bus um, from 7.30 to 8.30 or something like that. Well, that for me too gives us the opportunity to practice running a little bit later, which for Boston comes in handy because we have so many hours in Boston before we're running and typically both of us wake up and we go. Uh, When we have three or four hours in the morning after we've woken up before we actually go, that gives us a chance to practice nutrition and race day. Yeah. Similar to race day. For sure. I think that's really important. So, um, yeah, so I did my long run today. You did your long run today. It feels so good to have it done, doesn't it? it? Yeah. One of our runners actually, uh, sent a a message and we use final surge, which is our online training log and we can put runners can put comments in. And one of our runners did her long run last Sunday and Monday just felt really tired from the long run. Understandably, just fatigued from her long run. And she said, I now see why you like to do your long runs Thursdays so that you're not fatigued at the beginning of the week from a long run on the weekend. And it, it does feel good. I, two Fridays, I teach several classes, but I keep the running non-existent to low. And then by the week, I keep the weekend pretty light. And then by yeah. Monday, I feel good again. So it's not like I'm run down. So I do. Everyone's got to do what works with their schedule. But I do like that feeling of getting it out of the way before the weekend comes, especially now this weekend, it looks like we might get a little more snow. Right. And and I understand too, for anyone listening, it's it's hard sometimes to do your long run early in the week, I know, or in the middle of the week, rather. It's not something that I know I'm able to do a lot. But when I can, I try to do it. It just, it's less disruptive um, during the weekend activities and all that stuff. Especially if you can do it while your family is either asleep or in school or at yes. work and it feels like it doesn't cut in to me, for me, it feels like it doesn't cut into family time. Whereas on the weekends, if I go do it, like by the time I get home and showered and eat and it's, you know, half the morning's gone and everyone's wanting to go do something, or I, I just miss the time. I may miss activities or something that the family is doing. So I feel like I can almost cheat and get it done when nobody's looking, when nobody, nobody knows, <laughs> when nobody cares what I'm doing or yeah. nobody knows. So if you can get it out of the way. So it just, you know, you have to, like you said, you just have to listen to your body and figure out your schedule. We have a lot of runners who, who message us and tell us that they have got to move things around for whatever reason. And, yeah. And Jen Foreman just yes, messaged me today. You know, She's training for shamrock and she said i am gonna have to do my long run tomorrow great so she'll have knock that out of the way um 
I also wanted to update you on, remember when we did our podcast with Christy and Eric and they gave me sort of a strength training? Yeah, how's it going? It's going great. I really like the so exercises. Do you do your own thing when you go in there now Do you, instead of doing... I haven't been going in as much. I try to get in um, maybe once a week. And so you're I'm, doing exercise on your own? Yeah, I'm doing yeah. them on my own and, and communicating with, right. with them. Like, hey, I tried this out. Like I saw Christy today and I told her what I had been doing and... It's been really good. It's saving me some time, um, but I do. I feel like that I'm getting a benefit because I have someone who designed something for me. So it takes the guesswork out of it. Kind of like how what we do for our runners. Right. Just follow the plan. Follow the plan. Give feedback. How long work. is it taking you to do the routine they gave you? It took me this week. Each one took me about 25 minutes. Perfect. But I I will. I think I rush through it a tiny bit, okay. but it's all I have. I can't, right. I just don't have all this you're time. Still, I'm you're doing my best. Yep. Yeah. Good for you. Good. So, and I was also thinking, I wanted to remind people out there, um, shoes, if you're thinking about switching, um, to a new model or you have an upgrade, then, um, really, or even if you just going if you're going to need yeah. shoes, you, most of us will need new shoes before we get to marathon day in about three or four weeks. That's probably when, if you're going to change models and that's the time now you're right to, yeah. to make sure that that works for you, especially while we've got some high mileage runs yes. left. But if you, in any case, that's something I always put on my list of things to do about four weeks out from race day is get a new pair of my current shoes to make sure I have time to wear them. The shoes shouldn't need to be broken in, but you want to run in your shoes that you're going to use on race day before race day. And make sure they work and that there's no like um, shaping on your ankles or anything weird, blisters, all of that good stuff. Right. Um, so this is a cutback week a little bit for me. I think it is yep. for you as well, Same right? Thing. Yep. So- I try to alternate my long runs. I just find that that works well for me mentally and mm-hmm. physically. Uh, so yeah, so a little bit of a cutback week for me. Same here. So I, my speed workout, um, on Tuesday was pretty, was pretty light for me. Um, I did some five hundreds, um, because I was on a treadmill. So it was like a third, a third and a third, That's which cool. makes a mile. Yeah. And, um, but it's quick turnover yeah. and just working a little bit on my, um, my fast twitch, fast twitch and, um, that anaerobic stuff. Running economy, efficiency. Cool. And um, then, yeah, so today I just did a basic long run a little shorter. And um, Saturday I plan on doing a little tempo because I didn't do it today, but just pretty pretty low key, hopefully. Um, But yeah, with respect to cutback week, I think it's really important that people remember in a cutback week, that's probably not the best week to go out and do uh, a shorter run, a shorter long run, relatively speaking, with a ton of hills because it's a cutback week. So um, we tell our runners just to kind of use take advantage of that time because then the next week we'll be bumping up mileage again right. and you don't want it the inten- the hills can add intensity even if yeah. you're shortening the mileage one thing i've been focusing on and i was thinking about that today on my long run in my neighborhood i have some hills and i was thinking about downhill running and staying yeah. relaxed in the downhill so that's just something that goes through my mind but i don't I tend to avoid anything too terribly, terribly hilly. But when I do hit the hills, I try to focus on that downhill. Now, do you mean generally you try and avoid or you mean in a cutback week you try and avoid things? Generally. Okay. <laughs> I don't. Around here, it's mm-hmm. hard to avoid. I don't go out searching for a big hilly route. I'll okay. say that. And I just, I run the same route all the time. I have a, my reliable route that I run and there aren't a lot of very big hills on it. But I 
do, will sometimes repeat a hill, a couple hills in my neighborhood with the focus on maintaining an even effort up the hill and then focusing on my form on the downhill. That's great. I do some hill sprint work, but um, generally speaking, like you, the routes that I tend to run, including the Millennium Trail, are pretty good rollers. And I, I run that, I'm on that trail at least twice a week. Um, but likewise, I think it's just a time thing. I don't go out and seek hills, but I also feel like we're fortunate in that we don't live in a place that's Not flat. Not in Florida. Not in Chicago. <laughs> right. A lot of our that's Chicago hard. runners, it's hard. Right. They have to go search out uh, bridges or overpasses right. to get in hills. So, right, that's that can be a challenge, but we don't have that. So, silver here. lining, we live in a hilly area. Yeah, and totally We fine. get to embrace that. Yes. Um, so, up next on the podcast, we are really thrilled that we had an opportunity to have a great conversation with CNN correspondent Tom Foreman. He is one of the most positive. Is wasn't he so yes. positive? He's, so he spoke at our when his his book. My year of running dangerously came out in 2016, I think, and we had him speak. He was our keynote speaker at RunFest 2016, which we hope to start do another RunFest next year. It was a really great day of everything running related and classes and speakers and experts and gait analysis. It was awesome. Rachel Miller. It was a really great coming together of the running mm-hmm. community. So he spoke. He was our keynote speaker, and I think everyone left that feeling so uplifted. He has just such a positive, positive outlook and looks at running as something that should build you up and be a part of your life that, that is, is positive and productive. And it's, I think we all left that thinking, wow, you know, I, I, what stuck with me, and I mentioned this before to you, what, I, what stuck with me is that he, he talked about there, there's never really a bad running. You don't ever have a bad run. People say, oh, I had a bad run today. I had a, didn't hit my paces. I didn't feel great. He said there were no bad runs or only running, uh, learning opportunities. And what can you take from that and use that as a learning opportunity? We've talked about that a little before with when it's windy, we think, well, this is a good opportunity to practice running in the wind and absorb that body blow. And this is a great, when I went out on Tuesday and it was raining and cold, I said, well, if it's like this in Boston again, knock on what it won't be. But I, I will have the confidence to know that I've been out in this. So really turning around anything that might just looking at it as what a gift it is to be able to go out there, going back to what we were talking about before. So absolutely left a, left a, a lasting impression in my mind. Yeah. So the reason we decided to have him on for this podcast series is because since RunFest, Tom ran Boston. So he'll be up next to talk about his experience at his very first Boston. And um, I hope you have a great week, Lisa. You too. Bye. Tom Foreman is an Emmy Award-winning journalist and a correspondent on CNN. When he is not hanging out with Wolf in the Situation Room or with Anderson on Anderson Cooper 360, he can undoubtedly be found running on the roads and trails. Tom is an avid ultra-marathoner and marathoner, and most relevantly for this podcast, completed his first Boston Marathon this year in 2018. He has a lot to say about that. Tom is also the author of My Year of Running Dangerously, A Dad, a Daughter, and a Ridiculous Plan, which chronicles his heartwarming journey of training and racing his first marathon with his oldest daughter, Ronnie. We are so excited to welcome Tom to the podcast. Hello, Tom Foreman. Welcome to the Run Farther and Faster podcast. Hello. It's good to be here. (laughs) We're so grateful that you... Came on here after being in the Situation Room. We're going to guess. Maybe. <laughs> well, yeah, we're always running around here these days. So, 
literally running. Right? I got to work out before work and at work too. So, so Tom, um, for maybe the one listener who may not know who you are, could you just give us a, a little bit of background on who you are? <laughs> the one who doesn't know who I am, Mom. I'm employed. <laughs> so I'll start that way. <laughs> uh, I'm a news correspondent. I've been a journalist for a little more than 40 years now, having started in high school. But for running purposes, more importantly, I'm a marathoner, an ultra marathoner. I've done, I think, you know, it's shameful that I don't know, but I think I've done 25 marathons. I can't remember exactly. And four 50-mile ultra marathons and a whole bunch of halves. And, and I'm the author of the book, uh, My Year of Running Dangerously which seems to be well-liked by runners. So that's always gratifying. We love it. We have it right here, actually. Excellent. I'm so glad to hear that. And you're a dad of two wonderful daughters. Oh, and my wife's a runner. Everybody runs in the family now, which is really great, great fun. And we're all at different levels. In fact, uh, my older daughter and I will run the Big Sur Marathon together in the near future we've done it'll be our third time and it's always a great joy out there meeting all the runners out there it's just a beautiful race and we always just that's always just a fun run we just wonderful go out and talk and take pictures and eat strawberries and it's just lovely now are you are you running boston this year i'm not i didn't qualify for this year but i will try to qualify again either later this spring or late summer for boston next year and i, I jumped into a new age category Awesome. So it got a lot easier. So we'll see. Still not easy though. So that it's, it's such <laughs> an accomplishment that you did qualify for 2018 and we'll get to that in a bit. We, we are sorry that your first Boston was 2018. Oh, you know, we'll talk, we'll talk about that in a bit. I was delighted by being 2018 and I'll tell you why when we talk about that later, but you bring okay. it up when you're ready. So did, Great. I just want to ask, so did you do Big Sur last year? Because I'm thinking Boston to Big Sur, so I wasn't sure. Uh, yeah, I did, Bo I did Boston to Big Sur last oh, year. Oh, that's why I was wondering about this year. That's yeah, cool. that was a lot of fun. Yeah, awesome. Okay, so um, now that we've gotten a little bit about your background, that, and you also did not mention you were an Emmy award-winning CNN correspondent. Oh, that's true. That's true, yeah. You've, you've covered um, wars. You've, you've covered serial killers. You've, you've, you've covered the whole gamut, and so... Um, for us, it's, your your running resume is quite impressive, and your work resume is quite impressive. But what's really impressive to both of us is um, how you are as a dad and a husband, and and it's a true testament that your whole family is running. And we love your story and my year of running dangerously, and that's why a few years ago we were so delighted that you were the keynote speaker at Run Fest, where you talked about your book and your story, which we'll get to in a bit. But um, when we think of you, we really, we think of you as a rock star dad. So, <laughs> That's really very nice do. of you to say. So my wife would have some opinions on this if you spoke to her. But, um, <laughs> but look, look, it's been easy for me. My wife is a, a wonderful person and she's smart and talented. And my daughters have been, you know, they've been easy. They're smart and they hustle and they make things. It's, it's easy to be successful when the team around you is successful, you know, that's kind of like uh, my Drew Brees. I'm a big Saints fan. He's my favorite quarterback. What I most admire from Drew Brees is that he always starts off by talking about the whole team and everything they did. And that's what it is for me. They're, the whole team is great around me, which makes it easy for me. Well, it helps that they have good captains. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, nice. The two of you. So that, you know, it's not a surprise, but 
Yeah. So maybe next, your next book could be um, you and Linda doing some sort of parenting book for those of us who are still in the trenches. Well, yeah, it's funny where I'm sort of working on the next book, which uh, is, is a little more about how Linda took up running, but also about the quest for Boston, which was an interesting thing at my age. So we'll see, oh. how we'll see if it gets finished. Oh, we can't wait. It, now we're intrigued. Yeah, well, that's it's, it's, great. it's fun to write. It's just, uh, it's good that I have my daughters because they're the ones, particularly Ronnie, the older one, who more than anybody else says to me, okay, now you must finish it. You can't just start. You have to finish. Right. So that's what keeps me moving on the, all the writing. It's really such a parallel to running a marathon, writing a book from what we understand. Yeah, it really is in so many ways. It's not, you know, I was laughing earlier today. The, the, the real challenge of writing is getting started. The writing itself isn't so bad, but you can come up with a million ex- excuses like, oh, I need more paper. I need to sharpen my pencil. I'll need some snacks. And before you know it, the day's gone. Um, but And that's sort of how it is with running, right? If you don't just put on your shoes, put on your gear and say, I'm going. I don't care what temperature it is. I don't care what the weather is. I don't care how I feel. Let me just get going. And I, ha- I had a run like that yesterday that just the first three miles... The whole way, it just felt like labor, and I really didn't like it. And I just kept saying, just hang on, just hang on, just keep moving your feet. And then it opened up, and it felt so much better. That's a great tip, especially at this time of year in this area. And today, in particular, where it's been rainy and icy outside, that's, that's a great tip. And, you know, something that this brings up, you know, we talked about your job, which is really demanding, uh, your, you have a family to um, to spend time with, and and you do a lot of running, a lot of running, and a lot of great running. H- how do you balance it all? How do you how do you fit? How do you fit that running, and how do you get out the door? I, I think you have to be careful and realistic about your goals. I don't always run a lot because I think always running a lot would put too much strain on me, on my job, on my wife, on my kids, on on everything. The, the massive mileage you need to be an ultra marathoner uh, or to even be a marathoner is enough that I, I often like to say when I speak to running groups, if you're considering a marathon, ask yourself about all the places that, that, that your life is going to have to bend to make room for it. Then be honest with the people in your life that you are doing this and when you're doing it so they'll have an idea of when the cycle up will be and when you will be the least useful to them. And then as soon as your race is done, put as much work into restoring everything around you as you did into training so that people can appreciate the fact you did it and not resent it. I love that. That's great. I love that so much. And, and we, we both really very much live that motto as well. We definitely look at our marathoning and our training as cycles. And when we're not in the height of our cycles, we, we replace that time with time with family, time with friends that maybe we missed otherwise. But um, to your point, it's also really important. Like you said, you sit down with your family, you share with them the time commitment, but don't be a moving target where then when you're done, you say, well, I'm going to go run another. And everyone looks at you like, wait, you just did one. And that we, we committed to that together. So I think to your point, it's important to not um, move the target once you're done and jump into something else. Yeah, and I and I have to say I've been guilty of moving the target, and that's partially where I learned that lesson because, yeah, you know, I went through a, a few years back. I stacked a bunch of marathons, 
just for the experiment experience of doing it. And that was very ex exciting and very interesting, but it was very taxing on my life and on my family. And so now I try to be a little bit more focused about it. When I qualified for Boston, uh, I actually kind of made a mistake on the back side of that because I had signed up for Marine Corps and I thought, well, I'm signed up. I should go ahead and run that, which was only, I think, a month later. And then, um, uh, you know, the, the, the great marathoner, Meb Kofleski, is a friend of mine. And, and Meb had asked me if I would come up and MC his retirement dinner at the New York Athletic Club at the end of the New York City Marathon. Amazing. So I said, well, I'll go do that, too, Amen. which was like a week after. I think it was a week after Marine Corps that year. So I went up and did that. Both of those races, both Marine Corps and New York City, were kind of throwaway races for me. I was tired from the effort it took to qualify for Boston. I didn't run them well. Consequently, I didn't enjoy them as much as I normally enjoy races. And it really tapped uh, the family to, to know that I was so committed to everything. And, and consequently, it actually set me up to not be in the best position for running Boston and Big Sur two weeks after that. I, I would have rather have skipped those races, rested more, regrouped, and trained properly through the winter, but instead I didn't, and I paid a price for it later on. So I learned that lesson a hard way, but I like to think I've learned it now. When you say you paid a price for it, what do you mean? I got sick for the first time in winter that I'd been sick in a long time, and I lost yeah. the better part of a month of training where I just really couldn't breathe properly, and, you know, a month at the top of your training is, is tough. That's a, that's a real loss. A few days yeah. are fine. Maybe even a week might be fine, but a whole month is a lot. So when I went into Boston, aside from the conditions that day, I thought, well, this will be a challenge. And it was. So just um, for those listening for the timeline, you did a sequence of marathons in the fall, summer and fall of 2017, and then that culminated with New York City, and then you jumped into training for Boston 2018 thereafter. Yes, I ran the, in 2017. I remember all these years correctly here. 2017, I ran six marathons. Um, wow. What six did you run besides Marine Corps? I ran, well, I can tell you about the year because this, this will actually be a lot of what the new book is about, I think. Yeah, um, go for the, it. The, I started with the New Orleans Marathon because we're, we're from New Orleans. We lived there years ago and still consider it home. And uh, so it was very much a hometown marathon. Felt great. Very flat, lovely course. And, and I love everything about it. And that's, that was just this that, year, this past weekend. So you did that in February? Mm -hmm. And it was, and it was a, I considered it a, a diagnostic run. I had been injured the year before, which also had normally not happened to me, but I'd stacked so much the year before that I set myself up for an injury. So okay. I was coming back from all of that. And I just said, let's just go out and have a diagnostic marathon and see where you stand. So I ran uh, uh, New Orleans in just under four hours. And I don't, I'm, I'm just giving the times to give people a point of reference. Heaven knows I'm not mm -hmm. bragging because these, because at my age, there's not a lot to brag about. You can but, brag. But I, I think ran, you brag. I ran just <laughs> under you, four hours, which felt really can good. Can you tell our listeners how old you are? I'm 59. Okay. So you, you can brag, Tom, because a sub four hour marathon is awesome. <laughs> and at 59, in the midst of running all these sequential marathons with a demanding job, et cetera, 
it's it's stellar. Well, it so got, go ahead. It got you better. Back. It got better. Okay, keep going. So I did New Orleans, and I thought, okay, so I'm I'm in the ball game here. I know what I need to do. I had to run under 340 to qualify for Boston, and you know, with the differential at the time, that really meant I needed to run like a 335, 336, something yes. like that. So. Um, after that race, I ran Big Sur with my older daughter, Ronnie, just for fun and as a training run. And, and then after Big Sur, I went to run the Cleveland Marathon. So that was the third marathon of the year. And the Cleveland Marathon was a target where I thought I could qualify. The challenge with Cleveland was that it was, uh, it, it was pretty windy and, boy, that temperature was just creeping up. Started in the 50s, but we were in like the low to mid 60s by about mile 17, maybe. That's tough. It, and you're it not, cracked you, me, too. I was good. You up, had up trained through the, through the winter for that. Yeah, so train, and that, training that just winter. cracked me, and I, I just didn't have the, the move. And I finished that one at about a 341. So, so close. close. Yeah, well, it's close, but as you know, it's not that close, because I, I, I thought when I was in the last few miles, I thought, well, I could really push and go under the Boston qualifying time. But I thought, well, well that doesn't get you into the race. And right. why would you do that? Why would you hurt yourself that way now when you may be better to just finish this out and regroup and pick your next target and do well, you know, on the risk of doing something stupid. So I finished the race in a pouring rain, very happy with it. And then I came home and I spent the summer really working on speed really worked on speed. I spent more time on the track than I've ever spent on the track and did a ton of Yazoo 800s, um, which are fantastic. If you don't do them and you don't know what they are and you want to get faster, look them up. They're like magic. And, uh, and Bart Yazo, who's also become sort of a friend through things. He and I were talking about it one day. He sort of came up with them by accident, but they really are a great way to assess where you stand. So I did a ton of that. And then I went to the Marquette, Michigan, marathon which is a little race of like 350 people like a week before the cutoff for boston was yeah. it a last chance to bq race it, or was it no it's not one of the not one you're not that that brand you know the people who do that this is uh -huh. the marquette marathon and it okay. just happens to be in that time it is a net downhill course but huh. the first 10 miles are kind of little rolling sort of soft hills like we know a lot of around here and then mm -hmm. the middle of it, you wouldn't really know you're going downhill, but for about five or six kind of middle miles, it, it just is just enough, I think, that it gives you that extra boost in a part where you could really use it. And then there are a couple of fairly substantial little hills near the end, including the finish line, which is like a half mile uphill. Oh, how nice. But yeah, yeah. But boy, <laughs> what a great race that was. I mean, that just, everything about that, I just loved it, loved it, loved it. And... I did this thing which some people are doing and I've grown more fond of called the, the people call it the no watch me movement. Yeah. You don't look at your watch um, really throughout the race. So at the beginning of the first 10 miles, I checked once or twice just to make sure I was ballparky. You know, I didn't you, sometimes, you know, you, you accidentally are running a lot faster or a lot lower than you think you are. So once or twice, I just checked at my general pacing to see if I was somewhere where I ought to be. Then I ran entirely by feel to 23 miles before I looked at my watch. Because now were you using the, the race 
clock to sort of nope. as a nope. gauge at all? Nope. It was no. all, okay. how do I feel? Do I feel, huh. am I running with good form? Am I running with a high cadence? Do I feel comfortable on my run? And am I, and I'm getting everything I can out of it. And I reasoned that there was no reason to look at 16 or 17 miles because I thought if I'm way ahead of pace, the temptation to slow down will be great. And if I'm way behind pace, all I will do is be mad for the next 10 miles trying to catch up. So it was a mental strategy too. Yeah, it was, sort of, it was like, just, yeah. just run your yeah. best race. Just run a beautiful race and see what happens. And finally at 23 miles, I looked at my watch and I realized I could almost entirely blow up now and I would be fine. And, wow. and in fact, when I, at one point I thought, well, I could push a little more and I thought, no, you're fine. Just be smart. Finish well. And I finished just under 333. Wow. Amazing. Well, it was, pretty, it was pretty good fun, right? So fun. So, I mean, I have mad, pro- I give you mad props for that because that watch is really a crutch for all of us who, who train and execute marathons because as you mentioned earlier, you use it not just to make sure you're going fast enough, but you want to make sure you're going slow enough. So- yeah, and I find it I find it more useful in training, but you know Tina Muir, the, the who's a wonderful, wonderful runner. Uh, Tina is a big proponent of this, and she and I have talked about it. And I, I and I really have become something of a believer in it. I'm sure it doesn't work for everyone all the time, but one of the problems of racing when you're looking at your watch it's really easy for it to become almost a nervous tick. And you spend the whole race trying to goose your pace up or back it off. And, and I think you end up burning a lot of energy sometimes and maybe not running your best race because you're constantly adjusting instead of just running. You're so right. You're, it's so true. I think that your training too probably though helped prepare you for that where you really learned your body and tune into your body when you were training. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I, a huge focus on cadence, which I'd never focused on before. I really focused on cadence and I'm even more focused on that now saying, just get that up to a higher level. And it's remarkable. I'll tell you an interesting experiment to do. If you're trying to get faster for a race, I think this is, I, I think it's interesting. Go out to some kind of, you know, little throwaway race, some club race or something where you don't really care. You're just out there to have a fun time and run. Pick somebody in front of you and where you normally would strain to chase them down. Don't strain at all. Just look at them and say, I'm simply going to move my feet faster. I'm not going to push off. I may even shorten my stride more. It'll almost, it almost feel like you're running in place, but I'm just going to move my feet faster. And to me, it's remarkable. It's like a magic trick. You don't feel that crazy panting push-off strain like you normally do, and yet you start catching them. And it's it's a remarkable thing. And I, maybe that's just how it worked for me. But I find this focus on cadence is just so remarkable. And I would like to, my cadence now when I'm racing tends to be 160 to 165, and I, I sh- could sure stand to raise it to 175, which would make me that. Yeah. Better. That's, that's actually great to know because, um, when you just mentioned that it's 160, 165 and you're still benefiting from having a higher cadence, imagine 
once you get it up to 180. Oh yeah, you get to um, 180, you're flying. But think about yeah. it, most most yeah, but just even to increase it, like you said, just to increase it relative to where you are, just by incrementally, makes you more efficient. A higher cadence is a proxy for efficiency. So yeah, uh, so that makes sense that you're not you're not trying as hard, you're not pushing and wasting energy. You're actually conserving energy. Well, you're hitting that magical, you're hitting that magical spot in your stride where you're getting the most for the maximum forward thrust and you're hitting it more often and you're wasting less time spooling your legs and back and you're just hitting that maximum part. And, you know, I, I read somewhere, I don't know if this is true, but it has been true in my experience that, Many, 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 most casual runners have a cadence around 140. And if you see people, I always say, if, you, if you're sitting at a stoplight, you see somebody running by and you're just sitting there, take 15 seconds and count their steps as they run by. And then right. the math, it'll come out to around 140 for almost all of them. So for most of us, just pushing it up a little bit to 150, 155 will make you faster. And you're right. You're getting the real payoff. And it doesn't feel like you're killing yourself. It's just like, well, this is much better. And, and it's mainly getting used to the idea of moving your feet that fast. And how did you, how did you in your training work to increase your cadence? Did you do drills? Did you do anything um, you know, specific to help increase your cadence over time? Um, I, when I was at the track, I would focus much more on it than usual. And I, I truly, it started with just the simple command in my head to say, move your feet. Don't plod yeah. along here. Get them going. You know, touch that ground and get off of it. Run like the ground's hot. And uh, and, and frankly, that summer the ground was hot much of the time. <laughs> but uh, it really, and I, I just started seeing the results. And now I would like to even move them up a little bit more. Um, but but we'll see what happens. It's uh, right now. I'm sort of coming off of uh, uh, again. Strangely, the reason I didn't like doing those two those two uh, on the backside of doing. Uh, Boston and Big Sur this year, again, because I wasn't really trained right, I also had a very rare injury. And I kind of limped through a, a lousy summer of training with uh, my left knee just feeling tweaky. And, uh, and finally, I, I went, you know, I saw a physical therapist, uh, you know, our, our friend Rachel Miller, who's fantastic. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and she had great advice. And I made some improvement there. And then I went to see a, a really, finally, I went to see a sports doctor, because I thought, I don't feel like I can get this fixed up. And he, he checked it out and he took x-rays and he said, there's nothing wrong with mechanics here. He said, I have an idea of what's going on, you know, and, uh, and we'll, we'll get this thing calmed down. He said, and I hope I never see you again. And that, and what, that, what was it, it that calmed it down? They, he did one cortisone shot in the knee to, to sort of get all the inflammation down. He said, he thought it was a torn MCL, but he said it was a minor tear, a minor tear probably. He said many, many people just live with it. And that's, he said, that's probably better than trying to fix it as such. And uh, I, I was at that point frustrated enough to feel like I had to do something. And that's exactly what happened. I mean, it, it, that was three weeks before Marine Corps. And I was really not ready for Marine Corps. But I said, well, can I, he said, you just go back to running as usual now and see if this solves it. He said, because mainly that you're, it's inflamed and it keeps getting inflamed. We just have to calm it down. He said, and I'm sure, he said, I think you'll probably be fine. And I said, can I run Marine Corps? He said, sure, go run Marine Corps. So I ran Marine Corps. I ran a, uh, again, like a 401 and felt great. And I felt great ever since. Excellent. That's great. And, and what we really like about this is that 
you recognized there was something wrong. You went and sought treatment. You sought a couple of different types of treatment and you felt once you were, had the um, green light to go ahead and run, you ran at your LSD pace, your long, slow distance pace, rather than trying to push the pace at Marine Corps. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't have the juice for it anyway. And, and this was a long, slow process for me because I'm very, I, I tend very much to be, um, you know, kind of holistic kind of a, all right, just cool out, get some more sleep, take it easy, you know, take, you know, ice it a little bit, work it out. I, I tried to work it out over quite a period of time, but I kept reminding myself when I was trying to work it out that there is, you know, there is a difference between pain and injury. And I gradually decided, no, this is actually an injury of some sort. And the main reason I went to a doctor finally is because I wanted to make sure that there wasn't something more structural, that there wasn't something fundamentally wrong, that if I went to run again, I would mess it up. Right, no which is smart. Yeah, because I didn't want that. And I felt like I'd, I'd tried everything I knew how to do. So uh, it worked out really well. And, and I feel good now, although with each one of these, I learned these little lessons. And, you know, the way I tweaked the knee, weirdly enough, was after Boston and Big Sur, I felt fine. And I went out probably a week and a half after Big Sur on probably a six, seven mile run. And I just felt so good. I opened up and flew. Mm. And I thought, this is great. And when I finished, I was like, this feels great. Little twinge down there, but I'm sure it'll go away. And it didn't. And I said to him, when I finished, I was like, yeah, stupid. You got to, you have to, you have to, have to, have to, have to, have to treat recovery as seriously as you treat everything else. Right. We tell our runners this all the time after they come off a race, you know, you're on the runner's high. You think, what's the next race I can sign up for? And we have to reel back a lot of our runners and tell them that's great, but now it's recovery time and your recovery we're going to treat it as seriously as the training miles and the training, the active when you were training, the recovery is part of your training because yeah. that, that's not uncommon. That yeah. happens to so many people because you're on a high and you're, like you said, you want to just fly and you feel great until you don't. So, well, and unless, unless you're a, unless you're a beast like Mike Wardian, who's, you know, a, <laughs> yeah, great that guy, is an exception. a great he's guy, the outlier. he's unstoppable. Right. I mean, Mike is fantastic. I remember out at Big Sur one time I said to Mike, I said, well, the problem with uh, ultra running is it makes you slow. And he kind of looked at me and I was like, not you, but me. <laughs> but but it, they're very different disciplines. You know, if I'm running a 50 mile race and training for a 50 mile race. Yeah, you have to stack giant distances, but you're running them so differently than you do trying to run for speed. That it, it's 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 just different. And to make the mistake of thinking, well, I trained for speed. Now I'll just do the same thing. I'll stack on top of that. Uh, that doesn't work for me. Maybe just for someone else. And for Mike, it works. And God bless him. He's magnificent. Yeah. You know, just, but to toot your horn, you, um, you kind of did what Mike did last. Mike, for those listening who may not know, Mike Wardian ran um, the seven uh, continents uh, consecutively, won every single marathon, and then went and did uh, three more marathons <laughs> here at home so he could break the world record and have 10 consecutive marathons um but tom you did that too you just didn't do 10 uh, you did five I, I did five in five days yeah that was after doing that was after doing chicago like two weeks before then i did five in five days then i did new york three days after that and then the stone mill 50 mile two mile two weeks after that 
I mean, Tom, that's amazing. And you, you, you did all of this in your late fifties, right? Uh, yeah, that was in, yeah. I, guess I was in sort of my mid fifties, but now it's, you know, I do think that this, uh, particularly with Boston qualifying, um, listen, man, I got a huge break in the, you know, with the change in my age, the different yeah, 15 minutes, the, right? You get an extra yeah, 15 minutes, you get an extra yeah. 15 minutes, right? When you're, when you're, when you're going to be 60 at race time, which is what I will be. But even with, you know, they, they cut back on the qualifier by five minutes. So I still get 10 minutes. So yeah. now I just have to crack a, a 350. And I think cracking a 350, I, I don't think is going to be that hard. No, not if you just uh, a year and year and a half ago did a 333, yeah. right? Yeah. What, I'd yeah. Actually, what I really want to do is break a 330. I think that would be a lot of fun. Yeah, I mean, I'd be pretty happy if that happened. We don't doubt for a second that you can. And with you working on that cadence and things feeling easier rather than harder. Stay healthy. Got to stay healthy. Yeah. um, Let's go back for a minute um, to after you finished the Marquette Marathon and you qualified for Boston. Um, When you when you achieved that BQ, how did you feel? Like, what was that like for you? You know, it's funny because uh, uh, Meb and I were talking about it afterward. And uh, I said, you know, for all of us who will never be Olympians and who, I mean, the, the, to me, this is like as close as you get. You know, it feels, yeah. it feels great. It's like this wonderful feeling of, wow, this thing that is out there, that is hard. I, I Except for very, very gifted runners qualifying for Boston is genuine work and they, they do a great job. Uh, the Boston athletic association does a great job of keeping that standard just hard enough that you do have to work for it. It's not going to fall in your lap. And, uh, and that's a great feeling. Oh man, I felt so great. When I looked at that watch and saw that I was cruising in, I was, this is fantastic. I but, love that. And Boston was great. I mean, you, you mentioned earlier the nation of nature of Boston it had a, I have a somewhere on my desk here, some kind of the numbers about Boston, because I, I just continually refer to them about how uh, dreadful the conditions were. But, uh, you know, that was what, like 30s, mid to low? It was like today here, except windier and rainier. Yeah, and it's pouring rain, the, these winds just howling through everything, and, the, and cold. Uh, a guy standing near my wife as she was watching said, it's like they're running through a car wash set at 35 degrees with a wind machine. Yeah, wow, like, yeah that's, that's kind of how it was. And, and I just loved it. I had so much fun running it. And I, I stopped and chatted with friends along the way and just had so much fun, just soaking, soaking wet, like being in, like, you know, like being in a swimming pool the whole race. And All right, Tom. Oh, so let, let us stop you here. We need, we need some of your positivity Tell our listeners how you made that experience so much fun. Well, as I wrote in, in my year of running dangerously, I really believe that there is so much to be said for just being where you are and not wasting one minute thinking about where you might have been or where you might be going. We all have plans. We work toward our plans. We work toward getting better. We try all these things. But but right now is the moment you have. 
And that's how I felt at Boston. I, my first thought was, everyone is saying this is the most extreme Boston that they've ever experienced. And I thought, what better one could there possibly be to run? People will talk about this one forever. And I'm here. And I'll be able to say, yeah, I know what that was like. And, I love that. And it was it was so much fun. And seeing everyone out there knowing, I guess part of it's the ultra runner thing too. You know, you toe the line with this with all the marathoners you're going to see at Boston are some pretty good marathoners. Um, everybody there knows they can run a marathon. So to have the added challenge of all of that was kind of fun. It made it more like an ultra with everyone sort of like, I don't know if I can run this. And that made it sort of fun and interesting. Somebody once asked me, what is your favorite length for a race? And I said, sometimes I think my favorite length for a race is an odd length. You know, you see a nine mile race or a, or a 16 mile race or something like that because it makes you throw out a lot of your preconceived notions about how you run a 10 K or a half marathon, because this isn't that distance. And when you throw out those notions, it becomes this journey of discovery. And that's what Boston was to me. I was like, this is great. I mean, this is so interesting. It's, it's torrential downpour and it's a sea of mud around the athlete's tent and everything uh, to approach the line and say, I don't know if we're going to make it. Let's go find out. That was such great fun. And, and actually, I think roughly 10% of the field either did not start or did not finish, which has got to be huge for Boston. Yes. And, and many elites did not finish. They yeah. tried. Yeah. And then Des Linden, boom, in there. Oh, she was. Took advantage of that. That's taking advantage of an opportunity. Oh, she was great. And she's hilarious, too. So. When you when you experienced Boston for the first time in 2018, in spite of the unusual conditions, did you feel like it was what you expected in terms of the course and the hills? Was there anything that you weren't prepared for, um, weather aside? You know, strangely enough, I studied the course for Boston much less than I study most courses. And I did that because... I just wanted to enjoy being there. I thought, I have thought about this race. I've never really tried for it until this point in my life, but I've thought about it my whole life. I've always thought about it as this hallowed, amazing, very special, amazing race. I just, just to be on that course was just a wonderful and thrilling thing. And I just determined before I went, I am going to drink this thing up like water. Every minute of it. I Literally. In. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> and the sky has provided wanted, you I, with the water. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. I just, wanted to, I just wanted to see it and to be there. So every town I saw, I just enjoyed it. And I and I, I had no sense that I was rushing to the finish of this. I, I ran somewhere around a 410 or something like that. But I was, I was just, I sort of didn't care. I was like, just have a good time. Enjoy being here. You fought too hard to be here. Don't taint the day, especially when you're not well, really my training wasn't good at that point. Like, don't come out here and try to prove something. You just have fun. Enjoy this because this is a great, great race. You want to prove something, train for another one and come back in better conditions and race then if you want to prove it. But frankly, uh, you know, the, the saying people say the training is is uh, all is the hard part. The race is the reward. Boston yes, really was celebration. Boston really yep. was the reward. I just I just loved being there. Loved everything about it. And you know, seeing friends along the course and seeing people after the race and before the race. It was just 
it was fantastic. And I, I do you have any particular memories that stand out other than the weather and enjoying the course? And do you have anything particular that that stands out from the from the weekend? Oh, from the weekend? Well, you know, we went over to uh, uh, we went to see uh, over at the the expo. Uh, I hadn't seen Meb in a while, and he was there to see a bunch of people. And his brother Howie, who's his agent, uh, I went over to see Howie, who's just a great guy. And my family and I were visiting with Howie. And uh, Meb was just about to start his whole big event there with all the people. And, and Howie pulled, Meb, Meb, Meb. And Meb, Tom. And it was, it was you know, it, he's, he's like the nicest guy in the world. And such really an ambassador for the sport. And it's such an honor to, to, to be on a first-name basis with him. I mean, he really is. Uh, no one has done more for marathoning in this country in the past 30 years than Meb. And uh, it was great seeing him. But then I also have a friend who has run Boston. I, I think he run, he's run Boston and New York every year for like 35 years. And he was a really wow. good marathoner. I knew him in college and a really, really good marathoner. Um, he has since um, had a, like a hip replacement. And so he's finally not the runner he once was, but uh, this was the first time I ever lined up on the course knowing he was, he was in a different corral. So I didn't know where he was. We were very good friends, but we were just in different places and uh and and he runs as one of the the quarter century club guys they they let them in and so he finished i think like more than an hour behind me but it was a wonderful feeling to be able to get off the course throw on some dry clothes and come out there and cheer for him coming by and have oh that's great because he's you know he's just inspired me forever and he's a great guy his name is scott strider wonderful what a great running name too right um, yeah, <laughs> and Scott was a Scott was like a, he used to be like a two thirty two marathoner, so a brilliant runner, and it was just great seeing Scott on the course after all these years. So that was pretty great, and I just and I just liked everything about it. The people, my goodness, in that weather, the spectators give these people the medals because they didn't have. Oh them, yeah, we did, and they were standing there in this torrential mm-hmm. rain, still cheering, and I was like, you guys are unbelievable. Or the volunteers handing out water. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I thought they were the heroes of the day. Yeah, and boy, the medical tents just packed with people. Yeah. It's like, wow. Yeah, yeah, that's a great race. So um, you had mentioned that you want to get back and you're going to train to get back, and we know you will. Aside from what you had mentioned earlier with improving your cadence and doing um, Yasuo 800s, for those listening who are close to BQing but haven't quite done it yet, do you have any advice? Uh, my advice is if you feel you have a good plan, well, first of all, have a plan. I don't know where that, I don't care where that, I'm sorry, I think we got a, a phone coming in there. Uh, I, I don't care where that training comes, but have a plan. Stick with your plan. And have faith in your plan there is a real temptation when you're for me at least when i'm trying to hit a mark when i'm trying to hit a mark it's very tempting to say well let me just test it in this run or in this race to see if i'm there yet well you're not supposed to be there until race day and if you test it too much you you can kind of burn out a lot of your your energy and your strength and you can kind of mess up your plan. You're, you're, you're training to race. 
have a fast speed and have a slow speed and use them properly in your training and have faith that on race day, if you pull it all together, you can make it work. And I often like to cite the, uh, the great acting coach, uh, Konstantin Stanislavski, when people would talk about actors would say, well, how do I have a great performance? And we've all seen great performances of music or acting or something like this. And he said, you can't guarantee a great performance. All you can do is set up favorable circumstances in which a great performance might occur. And that's what we're trying to do. Your favorable circumstances are a good plan, sticking with that plan, taking care of everything related to it, including sleep and nutrition, taking care of things like family and your job. You don't go, don't go starting fights a week before the big race. You don't need them. Nobody needs them. Frankly, we never need them, but, Mm -mm. but be cool. And, and remember that you're trying to bring everything together for that magical moment. You don't need to be ready for it three weeks ahead of time because that's really hard to hang on to for three weeks. And you don't want to be ready three weeks too late. You're bringing it together to create those favorable circumstances in which you can toe the line. And if the weather's good and you're good and the course is good and the day is good, you might do this great thing you want to do. And if you don't do it, well, guess what? That's where you are. Be glad for what you did. Pick the next one and cycle through again. Because, you know, my friend Scott, the one I was telling you about, he said something wonderful after I'd qualified for Boston. He said, you could always have, you always could have qualified. You just didn't know you could. And there's a lot of truth to that. The idea that I, I didn't know, I, I wondered if I could be that fast. And now I know I can. So now qualifying again, I know the work, but it's not a big mystery. So it's, that's, that's really all there is to it. You know, get your plan, I love that. your plan, be cool. Yeah, I love that. And I think that applies not just to Boston, but to any, anybody who has a goal, uh, you know, whether it's their first 5K or their first half marathon. I think that's a great, a, a great piece of advice because I think people too, if they test themselves too early and they aren't where they think they should be, then they psych themselves out. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So it's so easy. I mean, I can't tell you in the in the process to getting there. So many of those mornings on the track or out doing whatever run I was doing. It was really hard to run slow when I knew I needed to. It was really hard to do it, but I made myself do it. And when I ran fast, it was it was hard not to look at it. There were times when I was doing those Yazo 800s and I was like, I'm never going to make it. This is too hard. I can't keep this pace up. But I kept saying, if I couldn't hit, if I had to do like eight of them and I couldn't hit my target time on all of them, maybe I only hit on 25% of them. I said to myself, well, next time, try to hit it on 30% of them. Try to move it up a little bit. And that's what I did. I didn't give up. And by the end, I would hit my target times on all of them. I'd go out and do you know 10 miles of it with a bunch of yazos in it and hit all of them. And it was like magic. I was like, well, that's, that's from just not quitting. Yeah. That's a, I still remember when you spoke at run fest and you said there are no bad runs. They're all just learning experiences. Boy, that's the truth. There's no bad. Honestly, you know, there really aren't any bad. We all have better and worse days, I guess. But for crying out loud, it's the day you have. That's right. I try real hard not to get into arguments with people or to fight with people or be too irritated by things because it's like, this is my day. Do I really want to spend the rest of my day with this just, 
grinding anger and frustration that something didn't go right. Well, things always go wrong. That's the way the world is. So, so that's the way it is. So let's move on. You know, it makes me feel a lot better. Yeah, it's a great, it's a great thought. And it's also a great parallel to life and running once again, because there are so many parallels. If you have a bad run, don't beat yourself up, move on. You know, here's my view. People, people will say to me, they'll say, Hey, how's it going? And I will often say to people, best day ever. And they will always laugh. And then I will say, you know what? I intend to have one best day ever after another. I'm going to have nothing but a series of extraordinarily great days at the end of which there will be one genuinely bad day. But I think that's way off in the future. (laughs) So I'm going to keep going in the meantime. And you need the bad days that you can have a great day. (laughs) Yeah. You know, my mother used to tell me when I was a kid, she, I get upset about things once in a while. And my mother, who's 89 and still cranking along, um, <laughs> she, uh, uh, she used to tell me when I was a kid, she would say, all sunshine and no rain makes a desert. Hmm. So sometimes it's bad. And sometimes when it's bad, yeah, you know, that's the way it is. And you move forward. And it's, uh, uh, I've learned so much and I've been so encouraged by so many runners of all types. And I, I watch, I've learned things from people who can, you know, struggle through two miles. And I've learned things from people like uh, Mike Wardian and, and folks like that who can run extraordinary distances. And, and, and I just think there's, there's so much out there that, that can make you feel good about what you're doing. And just, if you're in the moment and you run well in the moment and you love the moment and remember that what we're doing is it's everything it's, it's exercise and it's art and it's athletics, and it's it's there's an awful lot that's awfully beautiful about this thing that we do, and if you can be in that moment, you know there's never really a bad race because my goodness, you were out there. The day will come when maybe you can't be, and then you'll look back on the worst race you had and say, "I wish I could be out there because that was pretty great." You're so right. It reminds me of something you said at Run Fest, um, and I, I believe it's also in your book where you. Um, said to your daughter, Ronnie, who you trained for um, the, the marathon together, the first one that the book is about, um, that it's if you can't run because you have a job or, or a career obligation or something that prevents you from doing so, that's one thing. But you should never not run just because you don't feel like it. Yeah, because it almost always makes you feel better, doesn't it? Just getting yeah. outside and moving and, and, and it's... Uh... You know, there are a lot of things in life that are hard and they're challenging, but that doesn't mean you don't do them. You know, it's, it's so they're hard and they're challenging. That's what, you know, I have on the wall of my office, I'm looking at it right now. There's a quote from, uh, from the Barclays Marathon from Laz, the guy who runs the race. And it's a picture of, uh, I can't remember the name of the runner, but he's just collapsed having failed to complete the course and just a wreck. I mean, just destroyed by that course, which of course is impossible. But the quote that Laz has here is, we need challenges to be happy. We need things to be hard. And I totally believe that. I think nothing makes people less happy than having everything they want and having a life of ease. That sounds crazy, but, I, but, it's, but it's true. I, I, I think people want challenges. And I think running day in and day out is a nice, simple, very uh, organic reminder of what it is to have a challenge. 
Absolutely. And, and it's also a reminder that unlike many other challenges in life, running is somewhat of a, an attainable challenge, a tangible challenge that often if you set your goals um, to be somewhat reasonable to your ability, you can, you can actually um, accomplish things. Yeah. Whereas, yeah. Yeah. I like that. I like that about running. I like, I, I just like, I just like the running community. I love the fact that I meet people out there of all types and, and everyone's dealing with their own challenges in their own ways. And it's, it's, uh, you know, qualifying for Boston was a great thrill to me and it made me feel really wonderful. I, I, I also feel really wonderful just to remember conversations I've had with runners in the middle of a race where somebody just starts talking about something and you just chat with them a little bit and you find out a little bit about them. They find out a little bit about you and, and you're all united by nothing except just the challenge of the day. Yeah. Here comes a hill and we're all going to take it on and we made it to the top and it's simple, but it's real. And, and that's a great, that's a great thing. That's a great thing. Absolutely. Well, Tom, your, your words definitely are not only encouraging, they're inspiring. And I think many of our listeners who are in week seven of Boston training, maybe sort of feeling like the race is far away and they may be feeling a little stuck in their training or a little discouraged from the weather, just hearing your words, I think will be very helpful to those listening out there who are training for Boston and other spring marathons. So thank you. And before we go, is there any mantra that you um, use in your running? You've given us a lot of wonderful nuggets of wisdom, but there, is there a particular mantra that you use in races? Any mantra I use in races? Well, there's a couple of things. I, there's a, a, I think I mentioned in the first book, I really do think of it very often. When I get near the end of a hard race, I always think of that old uh, Johnny Nash song, I Can See Clearly. <laughs> and it, it makes me laugh every time. Because I'm like, I, can I can't think clearly, but I can see clearly. The rain is gone. <laughs> it's just and it's like i can see all obstacles in my way and it's like yeah that's that's where we are i think about that a lot but i also think um uh, just you know as i as I, I mentioned in the book uh that line i use so many times if it's inevitable it's ideal it's like if you're here if this is what's inevitable if this is what's happening well there could be nothing better because it's what you've got and I remind myself of that in the worst of races and the best of races, in the worst of training runs and the best of training runs. You know what, pal? You're here. You're here. Live this moment and love this moment because the day will come when you will look back and want this moment, no matter how bad it is. And, and, and that always helps me when it's hard because it's, yeah, it's hard, man. There are days when it just sucks. But it's like, you know what? This, this is still better than, it's better than feeling nothing. It's better than just sitting in the car. Get out and feel the wind on your face and the rain and the ice and the snow and all that stuff. And man, that's living. You're so right. Tom, your words are, you're, you're just awesome. <laughs> um, you're you so need, eloquent. Uh, and, you, need to, uh, you need to meet more people. I know people more eloquent than me. Oh, stop. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're, we feel very lucky to, to be in your sphere and, and live in the same area as you and have met you and um, to benefit from your wise words and from your experiences. And we know that your words will enhance many others who are listening. So for those who want to read more, Tom's book, My Year of Running Dangerously, is, is a great read. 
And um, how can we find you if we want to see what's going on with your next book? Uh, I'm on all the social media things as Tom Foreman CNN. It's Foreman like the boxer, F-O-R-E-M-A-N, Tom Foreman CNN on uh, Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. And, and I'm dead serious about this. I always say this to people. You see me on the trail or you can know I'm on a race or something, come over and chat. I'm all, I love chatting with people. And I, I'm very happy to hear what, and I want to hear what other people are doing because I always learn things from other people talking about their training. And uh, it's just, it's just such a nice time. So, so I'm always running somewhere around Montgomery County at club races and things like that and, uh, and other places too. So, so. Do you have any plans? Do you have any plans for any, any local races anytime soon? Uh, I think I'm going to run that. Uh, what do they call the one? The, the Kemp. Hills. Kemp Mill Hills. Hills, Hills. Yep, Dan, my husband yeah. will be there taking pictures, and as, as long as we can work it out, I'll be there, too. Man, that would smack me down last year. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't expect all those hills. I thought, oh, man. So I think I'm probably going to advertised in the name, Tom. <laughs> it's I'm right in the name. It. Yeah, it is. I, well, I, you would think, right? But, right. Uh, They're not kidding. But uh, I'll probably be out there for this one, that one this year. And, I'll, of course, I'll do parks again this fall, and I'll probably do Marine Corps and uh, and then I have to pick another. Uh, I gotta pick another good one for qualifying. I would. I still kind of think I'd like to try a late spring qualifier if I can beat the heat somehow. If I don't do that, then I'm gonna end up doing something like Marquette again to try to pick one right before the cutoff. But I'd kind of rather do it now because if I got it done now, then in the fall I could maybe focus on running Stone Mill again, which would be a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see. Um... Well, keep us posted on what you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. And- you guys are the best. I mean, you really, what you do for runners is just the best. Thank you, Tom. And what you're doing for the entire running community around the country is the best. So thank you so much for joining us today and for giving all of our listeners so many nuggets of wisdom to take with them on their runs. And uh, we wish you all the best in your running. And we look forward to seeing you out there on the trails and the roads. Yeah, you're right. I'll see you guys out there. All right. Thanks, thanks Tom. Tom. Bye.